Jeff, we are recording another episode, and I want to know, have you started watching Kim's Convenience yet? No, man. I told you last week, I am watching Superstar, and Superstar is one of those shows that it starts out as a good show, but it gets progressively better each season. Like, the characters find their stride. That's hard to do. And, and a it lot is. of shows, like they peak. It's like the first season, they just have so much good content that you're dying laughing. And then it's just like, oh, we ran out of ideas. Then it tapers off. And then what keeps you coming back is, well, maybe it will get back to what it once was. But Superstore, if you can muscle your way through, I mean, and, it, and it's good. It's enjoyable that first season. But if you can muscle your way through the first season of Superstore, then you will routinely be happy uh, happier with each passing season it gets better so no i have not started watching kim's convenience yet i don't know that i will immediately after superstore because i do have a hankering to go back and watch the office again i i seem to get it like every january like once a year i watch the office all the way well you're gonna have to sign up for peacock because in january it's going off of netflix well as a comcast member i get peacock for free oh there so, you go um just uh, if we really were to break down and I don't know what I pay for and what I don't pay for because we like everybody else share logins with family members or whatever. So I don't know what I'm actually paying for, but I pay for cable. I know that. So I have cable through Xfinity. I now have Peacock. I have Hulu. I have Netflix. I have Amazon prime. I have Disney plus. I think I have everything. Like I think if there is, I think I have Apple TV cause I wanted to watch Ted Lasso. So I think every Every streaming service that is major and that is out there, I have, in addition to my cable subscription. I have both cut the cord and reinforced the cord. There you go. It's um, not financially sound. You know, but, but you can mix is. and match, and that's the thing. It's like, yes, you can pay for all of them, but you don't have to pay for all of them at the same time. You can. I'll, we only have live TV during football season, and then I cancel it and because i don't i'm just too lazy and i should i should take the initiative and and save a little bit of money because i mean i need it um we're pre-rich i need the money but it happens you know i just don't ever get around to doing it and i end up having and like i say i don't know what i pay for what my mom pays for my sister pays for one so i don't know what's shared but i know i have a lot the only benefit to that is there is never a show that somebody can bring up and say hey jeff have you watched i have access to all of them there's never anything that I have to say, oh, that's on Hulu. I don't have Hulu. I have them all. So I can watch just about everything. Can you watch? I don't know if you've seen ads for this, but apparently Lifetime is doing a short film and it's premiering tomorrow. I've seen some ads for this. It's called A Recipe for Seduction and it's presented by KFC starring Mario Lopez as Colonel Sanders. I have seen this and I'm really kind of excited about it. It feels like it's one of those like awful, terrible movies like Sharknado that you have to watch. Yeah. It's, I think they're on like Sharknado 12, by the way. Like they continue Mark to Cuban still the president of the United States. <laughs> At one point <laughs> in the Sharknado movies, he was. I don't think he can be. I think he, you I mean, even if he had served two terms, I think that they have accelerated past eight years. It's true. Like there have been that many Sharknados. It is true. Um, but it's, you know, I'm still disappointed. If you have watched Kim's Convenience, uh, please bug Jeff until he watches it at least one episode and just, just do one episode. Just take that first step and then get back to us. Um, but if you maybe, you know, if you choose not to, I think we will 
go through some patches. Our working relationship may, relationship may need some therapy, some podcast therapy. And, but I, I think I can over, get over it and forgive you. Um, but we do I appreciate have, that. Yes, we do. In other news, um, if you did miss our Black Friday sale at 24-7 Sports, 75% off, there's currently a 60% off, so not quite as sweet, but still very, very good. You get all of, and we recently amped up our coverage this week, especially we brought Steve Pierce over from Vanquish the Foe, who is now covering basketball for us. And he is, if you follow BYU basketball at all, you know that Steve Pierce is the guy, right? Like Steve Pierce and Robbie McCombs. We're still working on Robbie. We'll get him eventually. He will join us. But Steve Pierce is, you know, probably the number one insider for BYU basketball and his dedication to all things Jimmer and Matt Carlino. That his fandom knows no bounds. And, you know, so we've got a great preview up tonight about um, the Boise State game that's going to tip off here in a little bit, as well as the, you know, a good look at 2021 um, recruiting class and looking in the following season. And so Steve is jumping in. Um, he's jumping in headfirst and, you know, we're getting a lot of basketball coverage out there with the season kicking up. So come join us at Cougar Sports Insider and you get to enjoy lots of lively message board posts of lots of lively. You've been active on the message boards. I mean, you're always you're always there. And you're, you're, you're not, uh, I mean, you're not a multiple times a day guy most of the time, but you're always there. You're always reading, but you've been, uh, you've been very active by any standards, not just by your own standards. You have been very active by anybody's standards on the Cougar sports message board, Cougar sports insider message board over the last couple of days. Uh, you kind of pissed some people off. Really I did. And really, I mean, so I wrote an article for our site and said, you know, just look back and said, okay, because people were like, oh my gosh, we suck. We lost to Coastal Carolina. Who is Coastal Carolina? And, you know, you and I talked about this, like, hey, don't knock Coastal Carolina because of the circumstances their program is in being in the Sun Belt. That's, mm-hmm. I know, as BYU fans who were in the whack forever, in the mountain West and thought that we were, you know, we don't have any room to talk about that. Cause we knew that we could play with anyone and they came out and won. And then also we really like, it wasn't a horrible game. We didn't get blown out. There are plenty of mistakes that could have happened. It was actually a very, very even game, right? Like we, it should have been a two point game because we were down by five and they kicked a field goal. They scored a touchdown and kicked a field goal in the second half. And their field goal came on a three and out after we turned the ball over. So the defense held after that turnover and, you know, they either missed that field goal or we get one first down before turning the ball over. And, you know, we're looking at kicking a game winning field goal to get out of there with a 20 to 19 victory. And so, you know, in said in, in the Massey composite ratings, BYU is still number eight. The drop down from seven in S&P plus they draw, they stayed at seven and the offense dropped one spot. And then the defense actually moved up two spots based on their performance. And some people kind of got mad about that, but then it was really interesting. I posted a poll on Twitter and asked, which was the bigger culprit for losing that game on Saturday night? Was it the defense giving up 22 points or the offense only scoring 17, which was very similar and very close to, you know, Bronco Mendenhall's old adage of like defense needs to keep offense needs to score 24 or sorry, is like defense. If your defense keeps them under 24 points, you're good. If the offense scores 
like over 20 or 17 points, whatever, like that's a perfect game is 24 to 17. So it should be like, those are the goals that they have. Right. So obviously the defense didn't keep them under 17 points, but they kept them under 24. So by the offensive expectation of 24 points a game still should have been fine. So it was 90 to 10, 90% of the people said that the bigger issue was the offense only scoring 17 points, which I agreed with. So I broke that down, but then people could, because people, even though they say that are still complaining about the defense and complaining. We're talking about time of possession. We're talking about, you know, every, they couldn't get off the field when really in the second half, there was one drive where they scored an 85 yard touchdown drive that took up a good chunk of time. But then the other drives is like, they forced three, three and outs in the second half. You know, they're not our fault. Coastal was taking three and a half minutes to run five plays before they punted the ball. Like that's a good solid drive, right? Like, and they're getting off the ground. They were outside of the touchdown drive. The defense coastal was zero for five on third down conversions in the second half. Right. So it's, I mean, the defense played well enough to win, but it was the, you know, it was the fumble. It was the Chris Jackson, running backwards. It was Zach Wilson taking a sack to pull it out of field goal range. There were a number of play key plays in the offense just had these drive killing issues that had that have had those not happened. We would have won the game. It would have been ugly. You know, it was a slug fest and, but still push come to shove the defense faced an option team on short notice and gave up 19 points on two days of prep on the road. I, want to hit home one thing that you said that I think when when we get into discussions like this when it's a matter of placing blame or what went wrong that I think that people look at it maybe that it's too black and white and nobody says like nobody wants to admit that they look at it and it's black and white but I think that's the, the nature of all of the arguments so whether it's on Twitter or message boards or with your friends at the water cooler it always ends up being a black and white argument. It was either the offense or the defense. Now, what you said, and you said it fast, you said it in passing. I want to make sure people hear this. The defense played well enough to win. Yes. Look, the defense was not infallible. They were not perfect. They did struggle, especially in the first half. They definitely tightened down in the second half, but they struggled to get off the field. They struggled to stop the run. Look, like no defense is going to look at 250 plus yards of rushing yards and say, hey, you know what? We did pretty good. Even if you give 250 rushing yards up to a team like Navy, that's only going to throw the ball four times. You're still not looking at that and patting yourselves on the back. Like the defense had its struggles. However, the defense played well enough to win the game. The offense did not point blank. Like that really is what it comes down to. And that's why in this game, in the, the in BYU's loss to Coastal Carolina, the offense is more at fault. They did not play well enough to win. The defense did not play perfectly. They could have played a lot better, but the defense played well enough to win the game. The offense scoring, what, what was it? I, I can't even remember the score anymore. 17 points, 16 points, yep, whatever seven, it was. It was 22 to 17 was the final score. So 17 points is not going to be enough to win very many games, period. Like even on BYU's iffy schedule this year, if you put up 17 points to UTSA, you lose that game. If you put up 17 points to Troy, you know, you're in an absolute dogfight trying to, to eke out a win. The offense did not play well enough to win. The offense is the bigger contributor to BYU's loss to Coastal Carolina. The defense had its problems. The defense has its problems and has had problems for a number of, you know, a number of years. 
but the defense routinely, and I think that that is the caveat that so often gets overlooked. This defense is not going to go out and be the dominating force that wins games. They've won games for BYU in the past, but they are by design a defense that is supposed to play well enough to let the offense go out and win the game. Like that's just the way that it's designed. And maybe that's not the right strategy, but I know when Bronco Mendenhall was the coach that I had a lot of conversations, a lot of conversations that with, with a lot of different fans, with boosters, with people who have influence and people who are like me that just watch games on their couch. I had a lot of conversations with people who were willing to give up some of Broncos defensive prowess to please go and recruit somebody who's not a linebacker. Please invest a little bit more into the offense. I fans are fickle. Like that's just the nature of being a fan. And that's great. We all are. We are all fickle, but right now it is just popular to pile on Elisa Tuiaki in the defense. And it's been Look, popular for the last five years, even right. with in the 2017, people were still, Oh, we lost to UMass at home because of the defense. Well, and it, it's been a problem and I, I get it. Like I, and I, how many times have you heard it? Well, Kalani fired Ty Detmer, but he won't fire his buddy. Look, Elisa Tuiaki's defenses are not at the same caliber of Bronco Mendenhall's defenses. Most aren't. He's an elite defensive coordinator. He's kind of struggled this year at Virginia, but over his career, he's elite. If you look at Bronco's defenses at BYU, there is very, 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 very little drop-off from his defenses to an S and P plus to Tuiaki's. It's not sure. like yes, like Broncos elite, but it's it's kind of gets muddied, right? Because churning out like a Saban, like, oh, we've had a top 10 defense every year for the last 15 years, like that is extremely difficult to do. Like that doesn't happen, right? Like it's and unless to Tuiaki, it's like, okay, I think S P S P plus rank, unless Tuiaki is average 40th in while well, he's been in Provo and Bronco the entire time he was the defensive coordinator average 38 well, that's wow. so like it's closer than i thought right and, and obviously I, I, I there's some it. variation it's, and it plays sure. off of what the offense is doing and what positions they're put in and things like yep. that not like it's he's not bad like it's he is good like if you are consistently putting out top 40 defenses you are a good defensive coordinator period yep 100 percent. and and look it is a very different style there's no question about it he is not the aggressive mindset. He's going to go and rush eight and get to the quarterback every time. That's what Bronco was. That's what Kyle Whittingham is. That's what a lot of the defenses that BYU fans see and hear and talk about, especially locally in Utah, are. That's not what Tuiaki is. My personal preference would be that, yes, BYU is a little bit more aggressive. I like watching that style of defense but I'm not going to let my personal blinders and my personal preference distract me from the fact that, Hey, Tuiaki's defense is consistently playing good enough for BYU to win. There are games that are exceptions. Yes. I know everybody's going to point to USF. I get it. There are games that are exceptions without question, but more often than not, BYU's defense is playing well enough that BYU should win the game. And when you have years like this, that by and large, the offense is a juggernaut then it, it all comes together and things look great. The difference between BYU's defensive performance against Coastal Carolina and BYU's defensive performance against UTSA, both games that there were defensive struggles, 
the difference is the offense played well enough to win against UTSA while still struggling and against Coastal, they did not, period. That's the difference. So in this case, in this game, yeah, it was BYU's offense that dropped the ball. And that's what I'm most anxious to see in on Saturday against San Diego State. I wrote a piece today that I said the one thing, the one thing that BYU absolutely cannot do above all else, they cannot let Coastal Carolina beat them twice. They have to move on from the loss last week, accept that they got beat, and they have to come out ready to, to, to fire on all cylinders against San Diego State. They have to. Look at Penn State, and I talked about this in the article. Penn State was one of the Big Ten teams that was the most upset about the Big Ten canceling the season. They thought they had the ingredients in place to play at a college football playoff caliber level. They thought that they were one of the elites of college football. They came out October 24th, and what happened? They lost a nail-biter to what has proven to be a very good Indiana team. At the time, it was Indiana. Nobody expected anything from Indiana, and it was one of the biggest upsets in college football of the season. And it was eked out. They lost by a literal inch is what they lost by. If Michael Penix Jr. is one inch shorter on his reach, Penn State wins the game. Penn State, they take the loss, and now all of a sudden their college football playoff aspirations are gone. They could still win the Big Ten. The next week they play Ohio State, and they get railroaded because everybody does when you play Ohio State. Now they're 0-2. Playoff chances, long gone. Big Ten chances just took a significant hit in a six, seven-game season. They have two losses. And they went out and they lost to Maryland the week after that, a crappy Nebraska team the week after that. And then they lost to, I can't remember who after that. They lost a fifth game. They were 0-5. They let, Penn State let Indiana beat them five times. And if you chalk up Ohio State as a loss anyways, they let Indiana beat them four times. Indiana is still, by most computer rankings, thought of very highly. They still have a ton of talent on that team. James Franklin is still one of the best coaches in the country. The difference is the mindset and what Penn State, what they allowed Indiana to do to them. They didn't just beat them on the field to open the season. They broke them. I mean, they broke their team mentally and it broke their season. BYU can, they, they got beat. It's time to accept that. Everybody needs to accept that. New Year's six aspirations gone. Like all that stuff is gone. BYU got beat, but did they allow coastal to break them? I'm anxious to see. That's the biggest right. thing that I'm watching going and into Saturday. And it's, I've talked to some people in the, who kind of said that they felt and kind of worried that is this going to be the 2001 Hawaii game or got to 12 and 0 Luke Staley breaks his leg. You've BCS calls and says, Hey, sorry, y'all ain't getting in no matter what happens. And, when you play in Honolulu, it ain't ha like you're not getting it. And does do we come out and respond that way? Um, and, you know, and with a well, not going to be a beat down because San Diego State's offense is horrible and they won't be able to score 70 points the way Hawaii <laughs> right. did. And also, that 2001 defense was abysmal and they were lucky to be 12 and 0 in the first place anyway. Um, but the so you know, it, it agreed, it depends on what you 
how are they going to respond? And this is especially for the offense and what we're talking about with a big test. So it's, I mean, San Diego state is a solid team, right? Like it's, they're very similar to the San Diego state that we've seen last year, even though they're four and three right now, they have kind of been up and down, but still they're number 50 in Massey composite. They're 57 in SP plus, um, which has them, they're the 118th ranked offense, but they're the number five defense. And if you look over FEI from Football Outsiders, uh, Brian Freemau's ratings, he's got 114 on offense and 13 on defense. So it's still very similar to the San Diego State we saw last year, but their offense is worse than it was last year. And people, you know, thought like, oh, we got stomped by San Diego State last year. It's like, that was a 13 to three game, right? Like, and it's the, there have only been um, like four games i need to go back and look i saw some hold up but where with how many yards we had like the ratio of total yards in the game to points of only getting three points where we were at that's only happened like four or five times in the last like 30 years because it was just these like we should have gotten more points on the board and we were moving the ball but very similar to coastal carolina we're moving the ball and then just had drive killing penalties or drops and just things that totally killed us and so obviously though, they are very tough on defense. It's going to be a challenge in the offensive line who did not play well. And I don't know if we, you had a chance to watch Brady Christensen's uh, press interview this week where he took full responsibility and was like, we lost because the offensive line didn't play good enough. And he said, me as a leader, he said, I did not have my guys ready to play. So I love, love, love that, that as you know, a starter and the best offensive line, like knowing that you're the number one guy in that room, taking that responsibility. And as a player saying, I didn't have the rest of my guys ready to play is huge. And so I think that is the attitude. And I think, you know, we all know what Zach Wilson, how big of a chip he gets on his shoulder. Anytime anything happens, you know, that he is going to come Which out. Which I love. I absolutely I love it. I, 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 that's I want, what you want in a quarterback, right? Like I want that Michael Jordan attitude that even compliments can you find a way to let it just piss you off. I, right. I love it. Like I exactly it's exactly what you want in a quarterback. And you know, so I hope that they I think they're gonna come back and I hope they come out Saturday firing on Saturday night. Um I may be a little delayed in watching the game, which may be unfortunate. My wife's uh, high school is playing in the state championship down here in Arizona. And so I will be attending that game in the afternoon. Just for uh, clarification purposes, your wife is not in high school. Correct. Correct. Okay. But she is. is I know that, I know that you was a little weird. <laughs> I mean, my wife went to a, uh, my father-in-law help was kind of helped get the school started. My wife went to a private school and you know got it help started and her two uncles like are two of her uncles are on the like school board and were the founders of the school and my father-in-law was a coach there for a long time so it's my my in-laws are very inter, intertwined into this and uh they're playing in the state title on saturday um but what a life you lead you know like you are if you really take a look at it you are one of the most interesting people that just has weird random things connections into just i don't know it's weird you're you are the mormon dosekis guy i think like and i i can i, I can lean into that brand i i will accept that graciously um <laughs> you know i think it's going to be i think the offense hopefully uh you know gets out and gets after it and we see so many things but it's i mean they're two san diego state's two best defensive players are you know Cameron Thomas and Jonah Tavai, and they're both interior defensive linemen. And you know, they are gonna try to push people around, and it's gonna be another big test for being able to run the ball consistently. And the back end of their secondary is no, you know, they 
their linebackers are the weakest part of it. So I think it can be a big day for Isaac Rex and Neil Powell coming over the middle. I mean, I think that's where in the passing game, we're going to see things attacked because they have very good safeties and they have very good defensive linemen and the weak spot of that defense are the linebackers. And so we're going to see that attacked and it has to, but I mean, ultimately just the same as what happened last week, we need to see the offensive line play better. There were too many key plays where obviously there was, you know, the sack there, um, you know, there were how many, there were multiple times. I know people complain about the fourth and one trick play to Romney, uh, but it's, the, you know, there were multiple other third and fourth and short situations where we just got blown up and it was, there were too many plays that we just took hits on because the offensive line just couldn't get things moving. And I know, um, you know, knowing Eric Mateos, you know, coach Mateos and the guys that are in that room, they are going to take that personally and they're going to respond. I think. Uh, yeah, I agree. And I am, I'm learning that, you know, I thought that, I thought that I represented the majority of the fan base when I said, Hey, you know what? That fourth and one trick play call, it was fine, but I am very quickly learning that I am not in the majority there. That is absolutely a minority opinion. Sorry. I expect one of your top two receivers to catch a ball that hit some square in the hands. That was a good play. Well, and and if, he, and if that, he was covered, Wilson would have run for the first down. He threw the ball because he was wide open and he expects Gunnar Romney to make that catch. Yeah. And so even beyond that, what is and maybe this is what the where the fundamental disagreement I guess that I have with the vast majority of, of, of BYU fans this week. What is in your mind the objective of a play call? This sounds stupid, right? But what is the objective of a play call? It is well. I want to, I want you to answer. What is the objective of a play call? The objective is a play call of a play call is to create some type of mismatch where your guy is in a position to make a play. Be yeah. There you a go. running back to break one tackle and get five yards, be that a, or a huge lane because you have numbers and there's a you know big path to go through or a receiver that is open and the ball hits him in the hands and you should catch it. doesn't right. matter. And you can say, you know, obviously there is some level of, risk involves because you know a deep throw is harder to be more accurate than something short or whatever but there are plenty of other things in that play like say like Wilson could have run for it Romney could have caught the ball there were other times so we did have needed one or two yards and we didn't get it right like it and so that wasn't you know it's obviously there are times when you just say okay like we're the bigger team we're gonna line up and push them around and create a hole and like we're gonna get our one yard but that hasn't I mean, even against Houston, as oh, yeah. well, BYU, like, BYU has sucked in those short yardage situations, right? And all I don't, year, and I don't long. know what it is because in all the other situations we run fine, but then it's those short yardage situations. It's you know, you know what like, I I actually think I do know what it is. So first, I want to go back. Yes, the objective of a play call, it's to set your guys up, create a mismatch, whatever it is. I'll I'll even make it more simple than that. It's to put your players in a situation where they can make a play. That's it. Like that is the objective of a play call is to set those players up to be successful, get them open, give them a running lane, create a mismatch, whatever it is. It is to set up players to be successful and to allow players to make plays. That's it. A ball off of a receiver's chest is as predictable as a guard whiffing on a block. Like at some point you have to rely on your players to make a play. The play call worked to perfection it resulted in a play 25 yards downfield 
on a comeback route on a ball that hit your top one, top two receiver in the chest. That play call was perfect. It was. It was great. Were there other calls that could have been successful? Sure. Yeah, there's the no play- one single call on any given play. Right. The play call, that particular play call worked to perfection. Now, we take that and everybody countered that, that you know, saying that the play call worked. Fans have countered that argument this week and said, well, why take the risk? Well, what was the biggest play of the game for BYU's offense that I think cost them the game? It was Tyler Algiers' fumble. Right. That was a simple dive play. That wasn't even a creative run. That right. was just a simple handoff, and he coughed up the ball. It can happen so, on any play. Any play. So would BYU have fumbled on that particular fourth and one? Probably not. I don't know. But the same way you can't predict the fumble that did happen, you can't predict a great wide receiver letting it hit off of his chest. Like that well, isn't risk at that point. And the play call's risk was mitigated. The play call worked. Catching is not a risk. Catching is a job that that's that player failed to do. Yeah, yeah, that's an expectation. And you can't say, oh, it's risky, so we're not going to throw the ball to our receiver. It's like, okay, then go be Navy and run the triple option well, if yeah, you're that never. worried about throwing the ball, right? And, and, it, and if that's the if that's the notion, if that's the definition of risk that fans want to take, the highest risk play was the handoff. Like the, the, the only turnover, okay, I guess there was the Hail Mary, but the only turnover that happened came on a handoff. BYU has lost more fumbles this year than they have thrown interceptions. So just looking at this construct or the construct of this current BYU team, it's more risky to have the ball in a ball carrier's hands than it is to have Zach Wilson throw it. So if we really want to take this risk notion and manage and mitigate our risk, we got to throw the ball more because my gosh, like all of our turnovers come by way of fumble. We've only thrown, Zach has only thrown three interceptions all season long. And one of them came on a Hail Mary at the, you know, at a BS throw it up at the, at the, at the end of the half. So from a risk mitigation standpoint, that play wasn't risky. You know what I mean? And, and so that, that frustrates me that that is the, the, uh, I guess the approach, the thought process of fans, the other side of that. So cool. the other comment that you had, um, uh, I do think I know why BYU has struggled so much in these short yardage situations. BYU is an outside, an outside zone team. Their, their blocking schemes are outside zone. When they get into short yardage situations, they change their blocking scheme. And I think they should. It's a short yardage situation. Right. It's just man up and push. But that's, that is counterproductive, not counterproductive, but that is the, the opposite of what, what they they're do trying to do in every else. other situation. And right. I don't know if it's a practice situation. Look, we, we know Mateos and Grimes and this offensive staff. I'm 100% confident that they practice all of these things with more than sufficient time to practice. But it's a different philosophy, a different concept. And I think we have enough evidence of struggles in those short yardage situations now to say that, hey, this is not their strength. They are a great outside zone run scheme team. But when it comes up to just line up and get a yard, that philosophy doesn't work right and so, I, I under what you know we'll see change in in that front um i mean i'm sure it's something that they've gone back and worked on this week and it's we've seen this the last two off seasons right like two years ago or before last season we heard oh we didn't do well enough in 
you know, we didn't get enough chunk plays. And then last year, the team did really, really well getting chunk plays that struggled in the red zone. Then this offseason was we need, we know we need to do better in the red zone. And now we're killing it in the red zone. And I'm sure this next offseason, you know, we will hear that we need to do better in short yardage situations. And if this offensive staff for the majority of it are intact here next season, then I'm, promise you we will do very good in short yardage situations but then it is kind of a revolving door because you can't be all things all the time right like there is a give and take of what you want to do and part of that give and take is kind of what you want to bring into your business and what you want to you know just as a full-time thing versus bringing in from an outside team and so jeff have you ever worked with a consultant in your business i have actually let me tell you i worked with a marketing consultant once and look i i I know a lot of marketers. You guys are great. I kind of wish I could go into marketing. I think it'd be fun. I know some marketing consultants that uh, they came in and this guy, he didn't wear shoes. Like it was weird. Well, he had like flip-flops at the first couple of days, but then he made, you know, he set up shop in our office for a couple of weeks and we like gave him like a temp office and all this stuff. And uh, he would come in, he would take his shoes off in his office and then go from like meeting to meeting without shoes. It was weird. He was a weird guy. And so I feel bad because I'm letting my my experience with that man is what I am blaming or what I think of when I think of all marketing consultants. So yes, I have worked with consultants before and I've worked with more beyond this man. But when I think of consultants, I think of this shoeless guy and it's not a good thing. Well, I can promise you that Ryan Teeples would probably hate the shoeless guy, unless maybe there was Ryan Teeples. I don't know. That'd be kind of weird. Sorry about that. I can but, say with certainty it was not. You know, it's Ryan is a, our sponsor here at the show, and it, the folks at Teeples Consulting hate other consultants because of the way they do things and dealing with the big billable hours and just trying to keep you strung along to just keep racking up those bills. They want to get in there and help you fix your business and want to see the results and make sure everybody wins. Um, So they want to understand your business challenges, the opportunities and use technology and data to drive revenue and productivity. If you legal zoom ancestry, uh, team viewer. There are a lot of big name companies that have used their services and you should look at them too. If you need them, uh, you could even earn a $500 referral bonus for mentioning that you are a give them help, bring them listener. Um, so you can visit Teeples consulting. That's T E E P L E S consulting.com to learn more. And we're going to have Ryan on in a few weeks, once the season's over to talk about some things that are going on in the culture football world. I'm very excited for that episode. I am too. Ryan's a great guy. Uh, great a uh, friend of the show, obviously the sponsor now, um, but just a great BYU fan, great dude. Everybody, if you need help in that arena, Ryan's the guy. He is the guy. He's not just our guy. He's the guy. He is the guy. Um, so apparently there were some, you put here in our agenda that there are some Brady Hoke comments that I may have. Yeah, missed. Brady Hoke sucks, man. Dude, he's a he, he's a goober. I don't even know what the there's a word I can't think of the word that I want to say, but I like there's I don't know how I would insult Brady Hoke, but there's a word out there that's a perfect <laughs> description for him, and I just can't think of it. Brady Hoke. So his comments were, and the the irony we're going to talk about the irony. I don't know if you even know what comments I'm referring to, but Brady Hoke he said this week he was asked in his presser if he enjoys playing against BYU, like if he likes this game, and. He said, I would like this game more if they were a league member. 
And he kind of went on and on about how well, Boise about to not be a league member either. Well, that's the irony. So he kind of went on and on about how BYU should be a league member when they left the Mountain West, blah, 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 blah. Brady was there at the time. He, he kind of just did. I mean, it was basically Rocky Long, which maybe shouldn't be that surprising given Brock, Rocky and Brady's relationship. But it was annoying. I mean, and he was asked then, would he schedule games with BYU in the future? And he said, well, I don't know. <laughs> well, do you have an opinion on that? Not right now, I don't. I mean, it just was kind of that typical arrogant coach that gets put on the spot, and I don't know. It was weird. The whole thing was weird, and you you already talked about it. That came out, like that presser was released not 10 minutes after news broke that Brian Harson is pushing the Boise State Athletic Department to get out of the Mountain West Conference. So here, Brady Hoke is is whining and complaining about wanting to only play games against teams that are league members. BYU should be a league member when his own league members don't even want to be league members. Well, and if BYU should be a league member and you're mad about that, then why did you jump back at the opportunity to get on the schedule instead of saying, okay, well, we'll play an extra Mountain West game and let Utah State play BYU? Or, I don't know, why did San Diego State leave and accept an invitation to the Big East? And then as soon as Boise State backed out, said, hold up, we're going back. We don't want to be out here. And now Boise State reportedly, according to the uh, Boise, I don't remember what the name of the paper was. The Idaho Statesman. The Idaho Statesman. Uh, they were you know, reporting that the Boise State is in discussions with the WCC and potentially the Big West and other conferences about moving all their other sports there. So I'm assuming that is potentially discussing with the American of being a 12th member to replace UConn as a football only member there, or possibly, um, you know, going the independence route. And I think, well, if they went to the American, they would have a, they may not get the same number of games. Actually, they probably would because they would be the only mountain time zone American team. So they would get a good amount of games, but they would still get more money. The, Random American teams, ECU, USF, and Tulsa are making more money in the American than Boise State is with their own deal with ESPN piggybacking on the Mountain West. And, you know, obviously that and there are some things different with that because, um, you know, Navy is not part of that American deal. They also have to, you know, they are have their own deal with CBS. And so there are a couple things, you know, like that, that need to get figured out. And so the American would be open to them keeping their own deal. Maybe they just do that. They say, okay, we're going to join the American, but we're going to be part of that. And if you're talking football only, then joining the American, like that's fine. Stick your other sports. Like cost is not an issue because cost would be no different than BYU being an independent schedule when you're talking football only. In my opinion, all re- basketball and all other sports, put those original conferences, football, YOLO. Everyone should be independent. Let's go. Big conferences. I want to see nationwide games. You're only traveling six times a year. It's not that big of a deal for your biggest revenue sport. Hey, man, you don't got to convince me. I totally agree. And uh, when, when, when we start talking about Boise potentially joining the American, it's very, very natural to say, well, should BYU go with them? And the answer is not, uh, you know, not, the answer could be yes or no, right? The answer is no. If your expectation is that BYU should join in on the Americans existing TV contract, but the American, and you have to give Mike Oresco a ton of credit. Like he is the most innovative and forward thinking uh, conference commissioner that's out there. I love what he brings to the table. And the fact that he was able to lure in a, a brand like Navy and say, Hey, look, just come be part of our conference. 
Let us help you with scheduling. Let us help us build. Let us help you build your brand. And you can keep your own TV money. Go get what you're worth. If you're worth more than what we can offer, go get it. We don't care. Go get it. If he would be willing to do that with BYU, which he has proven he's able to do that with other schools, I absolutely think he'd be willing to do that with BYU. Should BYU join the American with Boise? Uh, I think that's a pretty damn good conference. If you start looking at UCF and Houston and Boise and BYU and, and Tulsa and you throw in these programs, that's a real Cincinnati. That's a really, really good conference. Uh, is it P6? I don't know. But Mike Oresco is going to go out of his way to make P6 happen. And that would be maybe the one reason that I would be so on board with BYU joining the American compared to any other G5 conference. It isn't about the status of the football no, conference. No other, no other G5 conference is even remotely an option. No, no. Like, and, and, and for me, there's a lot of reasons that they're not an option. But for me, the biggest option or the biggest reason is because of Mike Oresco. Because of, I, I would have trust that he is going to do everything in his power to elevate the status of the conference and of BYU. Like he cares about the conference and the individual schools. That's one of the biggest complaints that Harson has with Craig Thompson in the Mountain West is that football is not the premier sport. He doesn't, Craig Thompson doesn't care. He doesn't care about Boise. He doesn't have a plan. He doesn't know where he's going. Those were the things that he said in emails. And anytime a school like employee, a coach or something like that sends emails on their personal work email like that, they know it's getting leaked to the press. Like that's right. It's what's going to happen. And so Harson is, is very willingly putting this out there for people to see that he has zero faith or trust in Craig Thompson. That's why I'd be willing to join the, you know, why, why I'd be happy to join the American because I think that their leadership is absolutely premier leadership in the national landscape of college football. My caveat caveats to this is one, we don't know how long Mike Oresco will be there because we are not the only ones who have noticed that he is doing a very Correct. good job as leadership. Similar to when we went into the WCC, Jamie Zaninovich was a very, very good conference commissioner. And then he became and left to become an assistant in the PAC 12. And that's, you know, and they need to fire Larry Scott and should pr promote Jamie Zaninovich and the PAC 12 would probably get some things fixed. So how long Mike Oresco will be there. And the other thing is right now, the American is very much romanticized. So even over the last five years, the gap between the American and every other P5 or G5 conference has continuously widened, even to the point where last year in the computer rankings, the American was a better conference top to bottom than the ACC was. And in most of the, each of the last five years, it has been closer to the next to the lowest P5 than it has been to the second highest G5. So, or I guess G4, if you want to go with their P6 branding. <laughs> so, but the issue that I have with it is we don't know what that will be. Like when people say, oh, like, look at, you I mean, you say Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, Tulsa, SMU. Okay. UCF, they were in, you know, they were there for that last year of the big East when they hopped in there, they had their run like beat Baylor, whatever. And then it's like, they were bad. And then they've had their very good run the last few years. Okay. Every, that's fine. Cincinnati after Brian Kelly left, they were not good until Luke Fickle got hired. How long will Luke Fickle stay there? Houston had one good year and one okay year with Tom Herman and now has been really mediocre since then. 
Tulsa, this is the first year that they've been good in some time. SMU, last year was the first year since they got the death penalty in the 80s that they were cracked the AP top 25. So for me, it's like all of those things are all peaking right now. And are we kind of romanticizing it the same way people a few years ago would look back and be like, oh man, I hate the WCC. I miss, you know, I miss Mountain West basketball. It was so much fun, Mountain West basketball, when UNLV and New Mexico are not the same teams that they were back then. Right. And it's, they, there was a time when it was like, obviously they were having insanely good years. BYU was peaking at that time. San Diego state was good at that time. Like you had this kind of everything came together at the right time for all of those teams. So now my issue with the American is, can it be sustainable and what is going to happen? And so I think Obviously, BYU's current deal runs through 2025. That's when the next round of alignment is. And I think you got to get to there and see, okay, are these teams going to consistently put together five good years or are coaches going to get picked off and then they're going to fall down and struggle to rebuild, right? Like it's, so it's the consistency of it is where the question things, but obviously if the, you know, college football playoff changes to have an 18 playoff where the top G5 gets an automatic bid, that changes the calculus of the entire equation, right? But it's, going in but joining a conference and taking a massive pay cut for the sake of possibly going to a new year six bowl once or a decade is not worth it it has to other things have to happen as well meaning the tv deal scheduling abilities like different things have to happen in order to you know in order to make it worthwhile there is a timeline in which it makes sense but i don't know if that is the current timeline or what will happen in the coming years well, you just call you Betty Buzzkill. I'm just saying, I mean, that's what we're here to lay it all out there. There are a lot of benefits. And I think, I mean, it would be fun. The American is probably the conference I follow closely because they play a fun brand of football and they have a lot of fun games and they should be called the American aesthetic conference because all of their <laughs> uniforms are beautiful. So it's, you know, I, I, I enjoy the American and support the American. I just don't know if it's the right fit right now, but it very much could be is what I'm saying. Okay, I can get on board with that. Uh, speaking of scheduling, though, SM and the American, SMU has accepted a bid to play for, in the Frisco Bowl next Saturday on 12-19. UCF has accepted a bid to play in, I think, the Boca Raton Bowl on December 22nd. So bowl games are happening at the same time regular seasons are finishing. I looked through the NCAA bylaws, and in theory, I don't think – it does not say anywhere that you can only play one bowl game. It just says your regular season has to be done, have to have a winning record or be 500 or better. And then it says that the exhibition, any exhibition that you participate in has to be a bowl game that is contracted with the NCAA as, a, as an approved exhibition game. So in theory, we can play SMU next Saturday in Frisco as a de facto regular season finale get the payout from the Frisco bowl and then go play in a second bowl game later during bowl season. And I think that's something we should try to do because we get more money that way. Uh, I think it's something we should try to do because I want to see this team play more. I also, but whatever we do, whatever we need to do to get this team to like to see more games. That's what I want to do. Dude, I'm ready to schedule a game at Hawaii so that they could potentially pick up a four, a 13th game somehow. I don't know how, I don't know when makes no sense. I don't know who, but I want it. I want it bad. The question I have with this is okay. Now that the new year six is off the table, does Zach Wilson 
like what is he playing for the draft status is concrete is he done could he be done i think he wants to beat san diego state because it sucked last year yeah i could see him Opting out of frankly, a bowl. well, it depends if, on the bowl, right? Because if it depends not, on the bowl, it's the New six, but it's like you're playing Oklahoma State or, yeah. or Texas, then he's probably going to be there. But if it is, he he ain't going back to the Idaho, famous Idaho Potato Bowl, I, right? And well, and if I'm advising him, I I wouldn't tell him to. I mean, absolutely, I'm telling him to opt out. It's a meaningless game. I sat on Pro Football Focus's draft simulator today that they just released. And I, I think I was up to 11 times that I tried to just re-simulate and it's a random thing. Like, it's not like, uh, I don't know. It's, it, it weights team need, it weights the, uh, you know, the overall value of the pick. I mean, it, it has some algorithms and logic built into it, but it's a random simulator. I was able to get Zach Wilson. Here's what I'm trying to say. I was able to simulate, I simulated it 11 times and Zach Wilson came up as the number one overall pick before he came up as a pick past number 15. So according to PFF, it is more likely, albeit unlikely, it is more likely that Zach Wilson goes number one overall than it is that he falls beyond 15. Yeah. And if that is the case, then, oh, actually, uh, so looking at, PFF's 2021 draft rankings, their big board. They have Trevor Lawrence, number one. This is not quarterback. This is all positions. Lawrence, number one. Justin Fields, number two. Zach Wilson, number three. Penny Sewell, number four. And you get to Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Kylie Pitts. The guy's legit, man. Like he's done everything. I said on my board, somebody on our boards today, somebody asked me a question of if Zach struggles against San Diego State, what happens to his draft status? Zach could go zero for 100 with 50 interceptions against San Diego State, and his draft status does not change. No, he has done everything that the NFL wants him to do. The games no longer matter, it's just talking points. It does not matter anymore. He is cemented as a top pick. Uh, he is, he's a, it's not a lottery but it's, he's a lottery pick. Like at worst, he is going 13th, 14th, 15th at best. He's going two. I mean, he is thought of that highly by just about everybody. And it's, I'm sure he's been talking to agents and getting feedback and he's, you know, making his decision if he hasn't already yet. And I think the bigger for me, it's, he's already gone. The bigger question for me is it's going to, is Jacob Conover going to start next year? What is Jalen Jaron Hall's health going to look like? What does Baylor Romney do? Does Jackson Dart hopefully get thrown into that mix? That, in terms of the quarterback position, I've already written Zach Wilson out of my mind for 2021. And the other questions are, you know, what do what does James Empey do? What does Brady, Brady Christensen do? You know, and some of the other seniors, like does Isaiah Kafusi get some feedback of what he needs to improve on? And he, I think... I think Isaiah Kafusi is probably the only guy who's like, okay, come back for a second senior year. Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, maybe I, a couple other guys. Like I know we saw like Kyle Griffiths got awarded a scholarship. So he, because it's not going to count towards thing and he's already been a walk on, they're going to be like, give him a spot. So they, there's some creativity in that regards, but it's in terms of other guys. I mean, the bulk of the players are 
juniors because the cupboard was bare when Kalani took over and has been filling it with his guys. That's going to be an off-season show that we're going to sit and talk about how bare the cupboard was because it absolutely was bare. And 2017, maybe Bronco doesn't go four and nine. Maybe he goes five and eight or six and seven. But that year was going to suck for everybody. Like, I have no doubt. Um, It's interesting. I've been talking. I've been trying to reach out. It's recruiting season. Signing day is next week. When we record next week, it will be the end of signing day. And I have been preparing already. And I am in the I am in the zone right now with recruiting content. And with recruiting content comes a whole heck of a lot of roster analysis. And BYU, I don't know, man. Like there's I think there might be some seniors and conversations that I've had today. There might be more seniors than I expected to come back that just want to come back. If I was BYU, I'd probably try to push them out a little bit and maybe go get a grad transfer. But the way that this is going to work out next year is the senior class, the scholarships will not count towards the 85 scholarship limit, but that roster spot still counts towards the 123 person limit. So it's not the, like the BYU, 110 for camp, the 110 for camp, the yeah. 120. Yeah. Yep. There is there. Yeah. The, cause yeah, there's, what, technically how, there's no limit after the 110 once school starts, but. And, and so that limit is still in place. And so BYU really doesn't have a ton of flexibility if they keep all of those seniors. And so if I'm BYU and I, if I see a position of need, uh, do I want to keep Chandon Herring or do I want to go and try to find a grad transfer safety out of the, out of the transfer portal? Right. Uh, Chandon Herring's a great player. I'd love to have Chandon Herring, but I don't know that BYU needs an offensive lineman next year as much as they need a senior safety. So maybe if it were up to me, that's probably what I would push for, but it doesn't sound like that's what's going to be pushed for. So there might be a lot of guys coming back either way, signing day, Jackson dart, man, that's my guy. I just sent you, well, I sent you some statistics. Let's say that, yep. uh, that really I got off of somebody from Twitter um, about how many offers Jackson Dart, how, how do I say this? About how many offers the schools that are after Jackson Dart, how many quarterbacks they have offered in the class of 2021? Yeah, like you are, you are number one in our minds and, and in our hearts. BYU and, is there is one. BYU has offered one single quarterback, and it's Jackson Dart. You look at USC; they've offered twelve. They have one committed. Uh, you look at you know Iowa State; like they're not in his top four or five, but they have offered like twenty-two or seventeen. I, I don't have the graphic pulled up anymore but the data there every school that jackson dart is still considering has had double digit offers extended to quarterbacks in this class byu has literally here we are on december 9th byu has offered one single quarterback jackson dart that should mean something i i don't know but it should mean something yeah and i think it just shows that how i mean in we were the first as well, right? Like it's BYU offered him when he was still at Roy before he transferred to Corner Canyon. They offered him, you know, it was, I don't know, did we beat Louisiana to the punch on that? Uh, no. So, but it was shortly after, right? So basically it was, he got a Sunbelt offer and then we were right there before ever, like we knew him before he was cool, right? And you, um, 
but I, um, you know, it's, I think the full court presses on and we've talked about him at length on our board and you, people can take advantage of the 60% off sale and come hop on and look at it, but we're going to find out on signing day. Um, but we've had a great show. It's time to wrap up with our picks. Jeff, you killed it last week. Which is a shame that I didn't trust my picks on the show with my actual dollars because the picks that I spent on my dollars, well, let's just say I came home. Normally, even on a bad week, you still salvage some of the money that you had initially invested into your picks. Uh, I came home with $0 this week, so it was a bad week for me there. Great week for me on the show, 5-1. and 5-1. and one. I was right behind you at 4-2. and two. Our first pick of the day is the Territorial Cup. ASU is an 11-point favorite on the road in Tucson. Uh, Sounds like a soccer game, the Territorial Cup. Uh, I'm going with A.J. Stewart in Arizona in this one. I don't know if they'll win, but they'll cover. And I really like my guy, A.J. Stewart. He uh, He's a Wyanon, a secret Wyanon guy. He and I became, you know, I'm not, we're not hanging out on the weekends, but I got to know A.J. Stewart and, and where I would consider each other, him my friend. And uh, during the heyday of Wyanon in the last couple of weeks, uh, he reached out to me and said, hey, man, the cabal, like he was all in. So because of that, I'm all in with A.J. Stewart and the Wildcats. Yeah, their quarterback got hurt a couple of weeks ago. They got a freshman kid playing in there now, but he's actually doing some things that kind of seemed like they're turning a corner and ASU hasn't played in a long time. So I think 11 points is very generous. And I don't know that the wildcats win but i think they will be I, I think they will cover um houston is a five point favorite on the road in memphis both of these teams have had a mess of cancellations but i gotta go with the cougars here um i don't memphis has been a mess they keep have guys having guys opting out and i just don't i don't see you know i don't see it being a close game. I think it's, and I think it's most likely Houston is going to win. I think they're going to do it by at least a touchdown. I have no idea, right? Because of, because of how much both of these teams have gone through. I really don't feel like I, that's why I put it on here. This is the, this is the, this is the golden gut right here. It is. And so when in doubt, take the points. So give me Memphis in the points. Okay. Um, Navy is a seven point dog at army. Uh, I guess it's technically on the road, but this is always a uh, this is a neutral site game, right? But they so the the game of the year, Navy and Army, is isn't it at West Point this year, right? Oh, they that's right. They, they moved. Did, they did move it away from the Eagle Stadium where they normally or they, where they have been playing the last couple of years. Um, I think I got to go with Army in this one. They're just playing like they're the better team this year, and. For me, this game every year comes down to which academy has the better uniforms. And some years it's Navy, some years it's Army. This year, it is not even close. It is Army in a landslide. Not only are Navy's uniforms not as good as Army's this year, they're downright bad. So, and Army's are great. Army's look fantastic. They look like literal GIs out there on the football field. Give me Army. Because of the uniforms, they absolutely obliterate the mids in the uniform game this year. Oh uh, yeah, it's not, it's not even close. Uh, Navy over-engineered theirs. Yeah, like it's they thought kinda, too much. They thought too much. It was kind of like they tried to do what UCF has done with their NASA uniforms the last couple of years and completely ruined it. 
Um, yeah, so it was bad. I, I'm going Army as well. Boise State is an 11 and a half point favorite on the road in Wyoming. Um, Wyoming, I still mystery. Last week they were 17 and a half point favorite to New Mexico, lost by one. And now here we are. They're almost a 12 point dog at home against Boise. And I, I don't, I think actually, I think I might take Wyoming in this one to cover. I think Boise wins, but I wouldn't be surprised if Wyoming covers just because Boise has kind of looked a little sloppy at times and Wyoming, I think Craig bowl will get his team up for a big game at home and will somehow manage to win by less than two touchdowns or lose by less than two touchdowns. <laughs> that game happens at four o'clock on Saturday afternoon. And according to my trusty weather bug, Laramie, Wyoming has a high of 26 degrees on Saturday with the 40% chance of snow and wind chill readings at zero to 10. That game's going to suck. All of the suck. Boise has had their share of COVID issues and injuries and things like that. It's going to get cold throughout the game. The kickoff starts at four o'clock. So 26 degrees is probably during warmups. It's only getting colder. I know Boise isn't Laramie, but this is, I mean, Boise's cold, but it isn't Laramie. This is the Laramie home field advantage. There may not be fans throwing piss filled balloons at the Bronco players in this one, but it will be just balls cold in Laramie, Wyoming. It'll be windy. Wyoming is the worst state in the – I wish that Wyoming would just be annexed and it would be like sunk into the earth. I know we have listeners in Wyoming, but everything about Wyoming sucks, but they cover this game. They may even win. I And it's because it's so friggin' cold. I appreciate the enthusiasm. You're the only person who is enthusiastic about anything related to Wyoming besides buying fireworks. Well, it's my hatred. It's my passionate hatred for Wyoming. I just, every time I drive through it, I get mad. We used to camp in Wyoming and oh my gosh, as soon as I cross the border into Evanston, I just like, I feel it itch inside of me that I just hate that I'm in Wyoming. Yeah. I I also hate that place and I feel dirty just typing down, but I picked them, but I hate Boise more. Um, USC is a two and a half point favorite against UCLA. I am taking the Trojans in this one. I do not think UCLA is a good ball club and USC just has more talent. They do. And they have something to play for. And that's, you know, that's rare in this COVID year. So that give me true. the Trojan. And then the last game BYU is a 16 and a half point favorite against San Diego state. I 16 and a half points is a large, large difference. Even when it's especially going against a, a top 10 offense versus a top 10 defense. Uh, I think I'm taking BYU to win, but San Diego state to cover just because I mean, BYU winning by 17 points against a very, the toughest defense they will have faced all year. It's, it's a tall task. It is. I think 16 and a half is my limit. I will take BYU to cover 16 and a half. If that goes to 17, I'm taking the Aztecs, but give me BYU to cover 16 and a half. It might be a 17 to nothing game, but I think that BYU wins by 17. That's true. This is their offense. Not only is it the best defense they have faced, but it's also the very worst offense they have faced all year. So this could be a shutout and it's a matter of does BYU score three times. Um, right. Great show today. Great recap. We will be back with our post game recap for San 
San Diego State late on Saturday night. Until then, Jeff, give them hell. Give them hell. <laughs>